Oh, man, in God good. All the time. Thank you, Miss Debbie. Absolutely. Love that song. It is so good to see all of you here this morning. And before we really get started into our lesson, I know we've already mentioned Vacation Bible School, but if you helped with Vacation Bible School this week, would you please stand up? Yeah. There's some up in the balcony, and uh, there may be some over in Kingdom Kids as well. These guys just did an amazing job from what Julie told me. Every single day, the crowd increased. And I think by the time Thursday got here, we had over 30 kids that night, including our teenagers and all that uh, helped uh, participate in Vacation Bible School. So that's really, really awesome. Now, my daughter's going to kill me this morning if I don't mention Erica Bishop because I was told she went above and beyond and just did an amazing job. And we're just so glad to have Erica as, a, as part of our family. And, uh, man, we're just so thankful for the work that she did. But to all of you who helped make that a success, thank you. All right, well, as you guys can see right now, we're in a series on the book of Daniel. So if you got your Bibles, you can be turning there with me if you'd like. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. There should, there should be one for you in the pew uh, directly in front of you. Also, you can follow along with me on the screen today as well. Most of the scriptures that I'm going to be uh, reading are, are going to be on the screen behind me. But I hope you guys will follow along because what we're going to be doing, what we're going to be looking at today is Daniel's final demonstration and illustration of what it looks like to really live a godly life in a godless culture. Okay, so go ahead and, and look at chapter 6 and, and let me just kind of set the context for you before I start reading this morning. Some things that are important for you to know. First of all, Daniel at this point in chapter 6 is over 90 years old. So he's a lot older now as far as his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who we looked at two weeks ago. They no longer seem to be in the picture anymore. We don't know exactly why. It could be that they have retired at this point. It may even be that they have passed away. We're just, we're just not sure. But Daniel's three friends are no longer in the picture. The kingdom of Babylon has now fallen to the Medes and the Persians. In fact, there is a new king on the scene by the name of Darius. And if you remember two weeks ago... As we looked at chapters 4 and, and 5, as we got into chapter 5, remember Belshazzar was the king of Babylon, and he throws this huge keg party, basically, for his wives and his concubines and his friends. And here's the deal. The Medes and the Persians were knocking at the door, getting ready to attack. Right At this point, they're only about 50 miles away, and this was not a sneak attack. Belshazzar knew that they were coming, and they did come, and they conquered Babylon. And so now there is a new king by the name of Darius. And here's the thing. It's a new name, and it's a new face, but listen, it's the same kind of heart that God had been dealing with before with Nebuchadnezzar. 
You know, with Nebuchadnezzar, we just saw this tug of war going on between Nebuchadnezzar and God. And basically, what we're going to see is God doing the same thing with Darius, trying to reach his heart. Now, as far as Daniel goes at this point in his life, he is one of the highest ranking government officials in the empire. I mean, what a story, right? When we first saw Daniel in Daniel chapter 1, he was a a teenager and he had been taken into exile. He was basically a servant or a slave. And now at the age of 90 years old, he is super powerful. He is one of the highest ranking government officials in the empire. But here's the deal, okay? And I want you to keep this in mind as we go through this. And and as you go back even and review these first six chapters, I want you to keep this in your mind. Kingdoms have changed. Administrations have come and gone. They have changed. But here's the thing. Daniel has remained the same. From chapter 1 all the way to chapter 6, we see this guy who holds on. Even in a godless culture, he holds on and he maintains his character. He continues all the way through to live for God. In fact... At this point in his life, 90 years old, okay, try and wrap your mind around this. Daniel has had no scandals, no corruption, no accusations made against him. Now you're talking about decades, decades of being in public service and they can't say anything negative about the guy. In fact, when Darius becomes the next king, knowing this, hearing about Daniel's character, guess what? He brings him on as paid staff as well. But here's the deal. Daniel didn't hold on to his character by chance. Okay, and that's that's important for us to note um, that... You know, what we're going to see in the life of of Daniel was basically Daniel putting in the work spiritually day after day, you know, for him to be everything that God wanted him to be. And that's the way we've got to be as well. We've we've got to continue to live for God and and seek His presence and and seek to live for Him. But let me me just ask you a question this morning. How many of you have ever wondered, okay, thinking about the first six chapters, how many of you have ever wondered how you you would have reacted if you had been Daniel or his three friends in everything that they'd been put through? Think about that for a moment. How would you have responded? How would you have reacted in the face of of some of these big challenges and crises and and adversities that, that these four guys went through? Well, here's the deal. We don't need to wait to know how we might respond. We need to begin building daily routines that foster spiritual strength in advance. Think about the physical body. I I think that most of us, okay, I I think most of us would say that it would be absolutely crazy to just out of the blue say, you know what, I think I'm going to run a marathon tomorrow. Anybody ever ran a marathon? 
26.2 miles. That hurts my brain to even think about, right? I mean, that, that's a lot. And I think all of us would say, that would be crazy just say, you know what, I'm going I'm to run a marathon. We, we know, you and I both know, that in order, for do that, in order for us to do that, we need to put in some training, right? We need to build up to that. But sometimes, what we know physically, I think oftentimes we forget spiritually. Listen, we need to begin building in spiritual routines into our day so that when we find ourselves in a pit among lions, whatever that looks like for us, it may be trials or or challenges or adversity or crisis or temptations. And, And by the way, just know it's coming. If you haven't faced that stuff in your life yet, one day, if you live long enough, you will. It's not a matter of if, but rather a matter of when. And the question is, will we be ready? I don't know how many of you have ever gotten on the internet and went to Google search. Any, any of you ever done something like that? You know, there, there's something you want to find, and, and, and so... You start to type something in, and then all of a sudden, there's this autofill of the rest of what you're looking for. For for example, let's say uh, you're looking for a Maytag side-by-side refrigerator. And so you go to Google search, and you type in Maytag side, and as soon as you get to side, Side-by-side refrigerator is just automatically filled in for you. And basically, what that is, is just this, this response to previous search history. You know, people get on there all the time and, and they, they look for things. And so all of that, that autofill is based on previous searches and patterns that have been established on the Internet. Well, the same is true when it comes to how we respond to adversity, challenges, temptations, and pain. When we find ourselves in that moment, our our hearts will autofill the response based on the patterns that we have previously established. Does that make sense? In fact, let me, let me give you a definition of, of spiritual maturity this morning. Spiritual maturity is not the result of a decision that you make in the moment. Spiritual maturity is the result of the habits that you have been developing over time. And this is one of the things that we're going to see in Daniel today, in Daniel chapter 6. Let's just start reading in verse 3, and I'll show you what I mean. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officials. Which, really, he's been doing this since he was a teenager, right? Proving himself. You know, just his, his character from the very beginning has been outstanding. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Now, now stop right there because this is really impressive, this promotion that Daniel has just received. Because remember what what I shared with you at the beginning, Daniel is now over 90 years old. He's an old man. 
And yet now at the age of 90 years old, he's received this promotion. In other words, he is still sharp. He is still working on himself. You know, whenever I meet an older, wiser, more seasoned person who is full of joy, who is humble, who has a teachable spirit, who is, you know, always encouraging others and and is so kind, I, I think two things. First of all, I want to be like that person when I get older. But then secondly, it's evident that they have clearly done a lot of hard work in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s because the spiritual fruit in their old age is just hanging off the tree, right? Well, Daniel has been clearly putting in the work, but as we get into chapter 4, we're introduced to some guys who hadn't been. Okay. Then the other administrators and high officials began, why church? Searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. I love what Denzel Washington once said. He said, some people will never like you because your spirit irritates their demons. <laughs> and I think that's what we see here, man. I think that Daniel, because of his character, he was an irritation to these guys. He irritated their demons. They were jealous of him. And so they were out to get him, right? They were trying to find something that they could use to bring Daniel down with. But but watch what it says. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. Man, I don't know that... I don't know that that could be said of me. What about you? Like after 90 years, I I think that, man, people would be able to share some things about me and my character that, that hasn't been real good, that they could probably use against me. But look at this. They couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. And it goes on to say he was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Isn't that awesome? These guys get together. They're trying to find some sort of way, some sort of dirt, you know, to bring Daniel down, some some sort of skeleton that he's had hidden away in the closet, and they can't find anything. And so look at their conclusion. Verse 5, it says, So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds of accusing Daniel will will be in the connection with the rules of his religion. In other words, we're not going to be able to find anything when it comes to his character. And so, man, we're just going to to have to go after his convictions. Let's watch what happens. Verse 6. It says, So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. And so it's very clear, man, they're trying to butter the king up. But, but please mark that in your brain, okay? Mark that in your mind because we're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. He says, Long live the king. We're all in agreement. We, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. 
Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so that it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. Now, you got to hand it to these guys. This was a brilliant move. Because you see, what they're trying to do here is they're trying to appeal to King Darius's ego and paranoia. Right? They, they come to, to King Darius and they said, Hey, listen, we have got a law that you need to put into effect. And this is brilliant because they said, Look, this is not going to be a permanent law. This is just going to last for 30 days. And, and, and what you need to do is, is you need to make this law state that no one is to bow down to or pray to anyone or anything except for you. And if they do, they'll be thrown into the lion's den. And here's the deal, Your Majesty. Then you will know who's really loyal to you and who's not. Because you see, again, kings back then, man, they were so paranoid, always looking over their shoulder because people honestly were trying to take their throne. And so they're like, look, we'll, we'll figure out who's loyal to you. But then they also play on his ego. You see, the Medes and the Persians, they came up with a law that stated that if the king made a law, it couldn't be revoked. It, it couldn't be overturned. And the reason they came up with that law was to keep mood-swinging, emotionally unstable kings from making laws without thinking them through. Did that ever happen? Absolutely. I mean, as we look back on King Nebuchadnezzar, right, that guy wore his emotions on his shoulders. And, and so you can just imagine, okay, the king orders a cheeseburger from his chef. The chef brings it in. He takes a bite. He finds a hair in it. It's like sick. That's gross. Ban all cheeseburgers, Right? Would they do something like that? Absolutely. They, they based a lot of their, their laws on personal experiences and emotions. And then as their emotions would calm down, they would realize they made a mistake. They didn't think it through. So the Medes and Persians said, hey, we're going we're gonna to cut down on some of that. We're going to make a law that if the king signs a bill, guess what? Can't be revoked can be overturned, and what that does is it causes that king to have to really think about the bill or the law that he's getting ready to pass. But also, it played on their, their ego, because once the king made a law, no one could revoke it. No one could overturn it. He is the ultimate power, right? So they're playing on the ego, they're playing on, on the, the paranoia, and man, King Darius, he buys into this big time. But keep in mind, he really, really does like Daniel. And so now as he signs this bill, King Darius puts Daniel into an ethical position. 
And just understand, if you are a follower of Jesus, at some point in your life, you're going to find yourself in a, in a similar situation, right? You're, you're going to find yourself in an ethical situation. You know, maybe you're the only one in the classroom, but you're the only Christian in the office, and maybe your boss comes to you, and, and your boss asks you to do something that you know you shouldn't do. Or ask you not to do something that you know you need to do. Or, or maybe people, you know, start mocking you about your faith. And the question is, will you choose to cave in or will you choose to stand on your convictions? Well, if we wait, we're in that moment to start developing the spiritual strength to do that. Listen to me this morning, we won't be ready. We'll either cave in or we'll come across as combative, which only hurts the name of Jesus. So, so we have to begin to, to think it through now. When, when I'm in that moment, when my faith is put to the test, when my, when my convictions are, are challenged, how am I going to respond? What am I going to do? Well, let's notice how Daniel responds in this moment, verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as what church? As usual. And in other words, this was no different, no different a day uh, for Daniel than, than any other day. This is what he always did as usual. He went home, he knelt down upstairs with the windows open toward Jerusalem. It says he prayed three times a day. Once again, what church? Boy, you got, I don't know if y'all are tired this morning. When I, when I say church, Y'all call it out. Y'all know the routine by now. Listen, I, I'm tired, okay? I, man, I have spoken from here to Kathmandu for, for the last two weeks, okay? So if I'm up here preaching, you guys have got to start talking. Or man, I'm going to start dragging. And this, this is going to go on another three hours. So let's try that again. He prayed three times. Once again, what church? Just as he had always done. All right, you guys are alive now. Giving what church? Thanks to God. Man. Daniel goes home. He throws open the windows. He's not hiding anything from anyone. And he starts praying. And here's what I love. This is just as he had always done. Right? It wasn't, oh man, I'm, I'm in trouble now. I've, I've got a crisis in my life. I'm going to start praying to God. No, he, this was a, a continual pattern for, for him. This is what he always did. He would, he would pray every single day. And, and here's something I want you to notice about his prayer and how it starts off. It doesn't start off with, God, get me out of this. Did y'all notice that? It doesn't start off with, God, will, will you please protect me? How does it start off? He throws open his window, he prays, and what does he pray? Thank you, God. He expresses gratitude to God. 
And some of you are probably thinking, man, what in the world did Daniel have to be grateful for? God, thank you that I'm going to be a source of protein for the lions today. No. As we just sang a few minutes ago, he was grateful for God's goodness. He was reminded and he remembered how God had been with him and and had gotten him to this point, right? And, And so what this tells us is that there is no trial, there's no temptation or or adversity in which we can't express gratitude. I mean, we have so much to be thankful for, even even when times are hard. Just just the simple fact, as we gathered around the Lord's table this morning and thought about and celebrated and, and thanked God for sending His Son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. He expressed His gratitude. Now, that doesn't mean that he didn't pray for God to come through for him because he did. We'll see that in just a few minutes. But he starts with gratitude. And a significant tale in our lives is our immediate emotional response in the midst of adversity. This shows us what we believe, who we really are, but also where we are investing our time. Right? I know as, as Christians, and some of you have been Christians for, I mean, 20, 30, maybe even 40 years, and, and you guys have, have you know, learned in Bible class or, or maybe from your own personal study what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to live your life for Christ. And, and, and you know that, that there are you know, things that we talk about in the church as far as studying our Bible and and talking to God in prayer and and even coming to worship or Bible class or joining a small group so that we can be around other believers and, and be encouraged. But here's the thing, all those things are spiritual practices and disciplines. And they are so important to our spiritual growth. Now notice what I said, spiritual growth. We don't do those things because we earn our salvation. Right? Only Jesus can save our soul. That's a work that He did on our behalf, on the cross. He died so that we didn't have to. And so we don't do those things so that we can earn our salvation or make God love us even more because, listen, God will never love you any more than He loves you right now. And He will never love you any less than He loves you right now. His love is constant. And so I want us to think about these disciplines and these practices as like gym sessions for our soul. Right? We're we're working out spiritually. Julie and I... Every single week, we, we work out physically. We have a gym in our house. We work out our upper body and, and our lower body. And, and one, of the, one of the reasons we do that is so we can maintain our strength. Even as we get older, so that we can become stronger even as we get older. And also so we can keep up with our kids and grandkids. But the same is true... Spiritually, adversity is coming, challenge is coming, and in that moment, will we be able to face it with the kind of strength and the kind of resolve like Daniel did? 
Think about this question this morning. What is your automatic response to crisis? Do you worry? Do you panic? Do you get angry? How do you respond? You know, Paul says something very similar to what, what we see in Daniel in the New Testament and how we should respond as Christians today. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. He says, don't worry about what, church? Anything. Instead, what? Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And why, church? Thank Him for all that He's done. Does that sound familiar? And then watch this next part. Then you will experience God's peace. Do you want God's peace? Man, when, when something comes up, go to Him in prayer. Give it to God. Lay it at His feet and trust that He's got it. And He goes on to say that peace will exceed anything we can even understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Well, Daniel throws open the windows and he prays. And, and this was all a part of a big trap, right? These, these guys had set the trap. They'd gotten the king to sign off on this bylaw. And listen, they were going to see this thing through. Look at verse 11 now of Daniel chapter 6. It says, Then the officers went together to Daniel's house. And so it's clear they're trying to trap him, right? And found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about the law. And so these guys, again, they baited Daniel, they've set the trap, and now watch what happens, verse 13, it says, and they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Now I don't know about you, but that takes me back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right? When, when King Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, when you hear the music, bow down and worship this gold statue. And, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't do like everyone else. They just stand there. And then remember the astrologers, they go to the king and they snitch on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when Nebuchadnezzar hears that these guys had basically disregarded his authority, he goes absolutely nuts. But Darius handles this situation as king a little bit different. When they bring this to him that Daniel has disregarded his authority, that he's still praying to his God, hearing this, the king was deeply what church? Troubled. It was at that point the king realized what he had done. And, and the predicament that he had put Daniel in. And he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. But here's the deal, it's too late. There's nothing he can do. Remember, once a bill or a law is put into effect, it cannot be revoked. And so let's keep reading verse 16. So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the, the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God whom you serve so faithfully rescue you. Don't overlook this. This is a pagan king 
who is saying this. Someone who doesn't even believe in God. But, but Daniel has had such a huge impact on the life of the king that now even the king, a pagan king himself, is saying, may your God save you, Daniel. Verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. You ever had a night like that? Where you were worried about something and so you were restless. You, you just couldn't sleep. Well, well, that was the king. But the next morning, verse 19, it says, Very early the next morning, the king got up, hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the, the lion's den? Now, look at how Daniel responds here. And I told you guys to kind of mark this in your brain. But notice how he responds. He says, long live the king. Remember who said that? Right? Those administrators and high officials, they're trying to butter, butter the king up. Now Daniel's saying it as if he's kind of taunting them, right? Making fun of them. Long live the king. May, may, uh, my God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so as they would not hurt me. For I have not, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. So Daniel makes it through the whole night, surrounded by a den of lions. And, and here's something to think about. This is, this is pretty cool. Almost no one got any sleep that night, right? You got the schemers who are up celebrating that they're finally going to be rid of Daniel. And you got the king who's up all night worrying about Daniel that, that you know, he may be torn apart by these lions. And you've got the angels who are up all night keeping the, the lions from eating Daniel. And so really the only one who got a good night's sleep was Daniel in the lion's den. Verse 23 says the king was overjoyed in order that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him for he trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who'd maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Now, before we close out this morning, I want, to, I want to share with you two quick points. First of all, number one, you can't say that the lions didn't eat Daniel because they weren't hungry. Right? So oftentimes, one of the things that you will see people do today is try and explain away the miracles of God. Trying to explain away, you know, what, what God had done miraculously in that moment. Well, maybe the lions were hungry. Well, you can't say that in this case, right? Because as soon as the administrators and the high officials and their families were thrown in, before, the Bible says, before they even touched the floor, they were absolutely torn to shreds. And maybe that's where some of you are thinking this morning. Well, see, that's the problem I have with God. You know, that, that God would approve 
of something like this. Well, what we just read is a very common practice in the ancient Near East. If anyone made a false accusation against someone else, and it was proven to be false, they would be punished with the same fate sought for the victim. And this was especially true in pagan empires. Some of you may say, yeah, but why were the women and children, their families thrown in, in uh, to the pit with them? Well, because that's what kings did back then. They would also take out the entire family so that the family wouldn't rise up and rebel and seek revenge upon the king. And so he'd just have them all killed, right? But also let me say this. Sin, pride, and rebellion always affects other people. Even innocent people. Right? Your sin and my sin always gets on others. You hear people say today, well, you know, this is, this is my thing. I'm, I'm not hurting anybody by, by doing this. Uh, I, would, I would question that. Because sin doesn't just hurt us, it hurts those around us as well. And, and we see this, right? We, we, we see this uh, throughout our, our culture to, today. You know, there, there are all kinds of things that, that we do that not only has an effect on us, but it has an effect on our families, has an effect on our church, it has an effect on our neighbors and, and so many others. It, sin just has this ripple effect to it. But then let me also say this, just because this is in the story doesn't mean God approved of it. The Bible is not condoning this behavior. It's simply telling us what happened in a pagan empire. It's telling us what happened when sin, pride, and, re and rebellion reigns. It's not that God is pre prescribing something like this. Well, let's finish up. I'm out of time. Verse 25, it says, And King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and earth. He has rescued Daniel from the powers of the lion, so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyprus the, the Persian. And, and so this is just, man, this is absolutely crazy. This, this story, it begins with prayer and it ends with a pagan king, okay? A pagan king declaring that God is the living God who will endure forever, that he rescues and he saves his people. And what convinced him of all this was Daniel's faith. Daniel's ability to trust God. Daniel's ability to live for God in a godless culture, even when he found himself in a lion's den. I'm telling you, listen, through your faith, you can make a difference 
in this world. By living out who God wants you to be. To be someone who is filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All these things that we read about that God wants us to be through the power of His Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. You will change the world. You will make a big difference by being who God has called you to be. But it's going to take some commitment on our part. Deciding right now the decisions that we're going to make in the future. In the face of adversity, in the face of temptation, we've got to decide right now who we're going to be and who we're going to choose. And so we want to go ahead and extend the invitation this morning. If there's someone here who needs prayers... For, for anything, maybe it's, it's something physically going on in your life or, or maybe it's more of a spiritual matter. Maybe today is your first time really to, to come to church and, and this is kind of a new experience for you and, and, and you want to know more about Jesus and, and the love of God and, and, and if we can pray with you about that or maybe there's, there's something else going in your life, some, some sort of crisis or adversity. We'd love to pray with you and encourage you. If it's more of a private matter, you can come up here and leave something at the cross. And myself and the elders will pray about that for you throughout this week. Or today, if you want to put on Christ in baptism, having all your sins completely washed away, committing your life to the Lord, you can do that as well. Together we stand as we sing.